Welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris, I'm your host, and I have a very special guest joining me for today's episode. But before I formally introduce him, I just want to remind everyone that the Cult Film Companion Podcast is now available on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cult Film Comp, C-U-L-T-F-I-L-M-C-O-M-P. Join our Facebook page, the Cult Film Companion group, which is where this podcast was birthed from. And please check us out on blindknowledge.com, along with all the other fantastic podcast and video creators from around the world that offer unique and interesting and creative content, um, some of which is exclusively available on blindknowledge.com. So please check Check out all the fine creators there today, www.blindknowledge.com. And the Cult Film Companion Podcast is also a featured podcast on Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android that picks up the latest trending articles based on topics that you choose to follow and then reads them to you in a natural human voice. Stop scrolling, start listening. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable. The Cult Film Companion Podcast is a featured podcast podcast there under the featured section and please use the promo code c-u-l-t-f-1-l-m cult film drop the i pop in a one and get a month free of their premium service courtesy of the cult film companion so with all that hot dog and grandstanding out of the way i would like to introduce to the cult film companion Mr. Matt Davis, creator of Shall I Stream It at ShallIStreamIt.com. Matt, welcome to the Cold Film Companion. Thanks for having me, Chris. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for reaching out. And please tell us a little bit about yourself, some of the, the, cult, yeah. some of the cult movies that you like, and tell us a little bit about Shall I Stream It. Sounds good. So I am a fan of all movies, good and bad. <laughs> so... I definitely can appreciate uh, different cult films out there. Uh, a big fan of Rocky Horror. Not a bad movie by, by any means, but that's always been kind of my ultimate cult film. But uh, over at Shall I Stream It, uh, I really wanted to make kind of a news and entertainment-focused website. So it is a place for streaming service news and reviews, whether it is mainstream streaming services like Hulu or Netflix or... Some of the more niche ones out there, like uh, Canopy, just wanted to make a resource that you can find at shallistreamit.com, as well as on the YouTube channel, where you can go uh, find out some reviews, find out information about where to watch the best movies. We review movies, 
um, always looking at expanding and doing some new stuff. We've got some new writers coming on, so it's definitely a good thing to check out and happy to be here talking about uh, our movie today. Can you uh, give my audience just a little preview? What are some, some maybe some under-the-radar streaming sites that people should check out? Okay. I would say, one, a lot of people have access to this, and they actually don't even realize through their public library. If you like classic films, if you like independent films, if you like B-movie horror, um, there is a website and app called Canopy. And if your library participates with Canopy, you can sign in through there using your library card information. You can actually watch movies for free without any advertising whatsoever. And I'm just a huge fan of Canopy. That's one of the things that I was going to preach about. Um, So there's Canopy. There are um, plenty of others out there. I'm going to be reviewing the Criterion uh, channel pretty soon. So, uh, yeah. Lots of good stuff coming. I have checked out Canopy, so I can also, uh, I will stand by your endorsement. Yeah, it's something that people don't realize that they have. Another another fun website that I found, especially for something, I wouldn't be surprised if it shows up on there every so often, is um, Tubi which, of course, mm-hmm. if, if you're willing to sit through some commercials, is well worth it for their, for their library of movies. is is quite impressive, especially some of their, their horror movies. And uh, speaking of which, we are talking about Blood Diner from 1987, which is a horror comedy um, written by Michael Sanyang and directed by Jackie Kong and... I just want to, of course, give notice that, um, not give notice, but just give um, credit to Miss Jackie Kong for being um, an Asian-American director of B-movies in the 80s. That's not something that's... uh, that was commonplace back then, so so good for her. And uh, this is probably the movie that she's best well-known for, uh, Blood Diner, um, which is, is basically about two brothers who are uh, setting up a vegetarian restaurant as a front for them to assemble severed, severed body parts for a Lumerian goddess, Shitar, and, as one does. I'm sorry. Yes, yes. As one does. <laughs> um, as you know, as guided by their their uncle, who we see briefly in the opening, and then is nothing more than a head in a jar. Um, it was originally conceived as a sequel to Blood Feast, which is. Um, I'm not going to say acclaimed, because that's probably too strong a word, but it's a a notorious film from splatter godfather Herschel Gordon Lewis. Um, And it was uh, conceived to be a sequel, but then uh, due to various issues of rights and budget, and um, they basically decided to make it its own thing, and... um, drop 
um, this this movie has its tongue firmly in cheek and its foot firmly in splatter, but also in in camp. So. <laughs> Perhaps foot in a pile of other mutilated body parts. Yeah, pretty much, yeah, foot and gut or something like that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Matt, were you familiar at all with this movie before we, we recorded this episode? I was not, so it was a, a first-time experience for me. You gotta say, I was impressed seeing that this was directed by an Asian-American woman in the 80s. Uh, one of my favorite things about this was just discovering interviews with Jackie Kong on YouTube and hearing about her experiences. She is a she's a really cool person. I just appreciate anyone who can just like not give a damn about you know blazing their own trail and going out and doing their thing. And Jackie Kong and she's cool. Yeah, she is. So there's some great interviews. I think there's a biography about her, if I'm not mistaken, as well. But, um, yeah, this is the movie she's probably best known for, and it's one of those movies that, um, I remember seeing the cover of before. The cover, um, it's got a big hand with a butcher's knife, and it says Blood Diner, and there's some, some tagline, but, I mean, the Blood Diner's in that, that classic neon sign lettering font that, um we've come to kind of associate with diners you know there is one piece of trivia i found out about the cover i'm not sure if you've read this before but the same artist who did that cover did the infamous cover of the vhs copy of the little mermaid that allegedly had the hidden male appendage on it i am familiar with that cover but i was not familiar that was the same artist yes um, yes so i th I thought that was interesting i was watching this um they did kind of like a question and answer session with, with jackie kong at an alamo draft house and that was one of their pieces of trivia that they had leading up to her interview so i was like wow okay so kind of makes sense it does but it doesn't it, it just it seems <laughs> odd to me that you would be a, a disney would look at your resume and they say oh you did the art for blood diner how are, what are your thoughts on the little mermaid right. um so i i that just uh, i i'm gonna ask you just a random question a little off topic question but you're you're in central time i'm over here on the east coast have you had the privilege of actually um being at the alamo draft house uh, we actually, I, I live in the Kansas City area, and we used to have an Alamo draft house in Kansas City, Missouri, but I guess we just can't have nice things, because it did eventually close down, but uh, for one brief glorious time period, we had one here. Yeah, we, um, that's, it seems to be a very localized kind of thing, a very Midwest, Western kind of thing, also maybe in LA too, but, um. It has not reached its way here uh, to the East Coast yet, so um, maybe someday we can have nice, nice things. So, Matt, upon first watch, if you had, if you, if you were tasked with doing a a brief plot synopsis, if you will, of Blood Diner, how would you uh, 
sum it up? Well, I, I would say there are two brothers that yeah. the entire film I kept thinking about the SNL characterization of Donald Trump Jr. and Eric Trump. They kind of just reminded me a little bit of the characters that they've done on SNL. Um, <laughs> but sort of like a Tweedledee and Tweedledum situation. Right, right. They, they are tasked with trying to resurrect this goddess, Sheetar, um, because their uncle was involved in some sort of ancient Lumerian cult. Yep. I don't know why this was happening. You know, it's one of those things you just kind of have to roll with it. But it was um, it was bloody. It was vulgar. It was um, tasteless. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. So... Yeah, you got You kind of have to like go with the '80s flow kind of thing. The right. um, the ca- the I say it's casual homophobia because right. it kind of is. It's implied that one of the brothers is is gay, um, mm-hmm. and the only kind of hints that we get about it is through the uncle telling him to, to stay away from those sorts of bars and stuff. So I say it's it's casual homophobia because the uncle, does, the, despite all his faults of you know, being a Lumerian cult member, um, uh, apparently was at the cusp of achieving his goal of, of recreating this goddess, but he said that his... I, I, I want to say... I might be getting the quote wrong, but he said that his tallywhacker got in the way, which is you know he was thinking with the thinking with the wrong head there, and um, he got he said he got distracted by something, but he uh, he it, it, the movie opens with the two little kids, their uncle like runs in, um, and then with a cleaver, with a cleaver, Just like, yeah, yeah but bust the door down, wants to remind them how much that that he loves them as their uncle and then walks out to the front lawn and is um, savagely shot multiple, multiple times by the police right in front of uh, his nephews. And and I love how just chill they are about the situation too. They just look out the window and they're like, oh well, our uncle died before our eyes. Like, I mean, I saw my grandma's dog get run over by a truck when I was a kid and I still have nightmares about it. As you, as a, as a normal, well-adjusted person was, but I mean, <laughs> sort of, it's just mildly adjusted. I'm a, I'm still adjusting. Yeah, well, I, aren't we all? Aren't we all? <laughs> uh, these two, on the other hand, have seemed to have fully adjusted to the fact that, um, yeah, we're just going to do whatever our uncle says, and uh, we're going to recreate the Lumerian goddess Sheetar. And they do it with the guise of a vegetarian restaurant because, um, which again, another reason why I think this kind of sticks out from some of the other splatter comedy horror movies of the 80s is because that's, that's quite forward thinking. I mean, nowadays, vegetarian restaurants, I'm not sure about Kansas City, but they're, they're they're very commonplace, but for 1984, yeah. um, 
I know. And I, I used to be a vegetarian and I worked at Whole Foods for a time period. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, that, that was a part of this movie I related to. But I'm also like, OK, so they have this vegetarian restaurant and they are apparently serving these people spoiler alert these like mutilated body parts in the fake meat at this vegetarian restaurant and no one notices they just think it's really good and i'm like i feel like vegetarians would know this is not fake meat this is not any kind of impossible beyond meat situation but matt you're forgetting one very important character you're what forgetting about they are endorsed by vitamin B and Duh. who is vitamin B well first of all uh, he's kind of like I would say he's basically redneck Guy Fieri <laughs> right <laughs> um, who is he's a, he's a large gentleman um but he's keen on eating healthy, and my God, does he love this this cafe because um, it's healthy and it's vegetarian. But I mean, you know, like you said, he definitely it definitely seems time. like someone who hasn't been eating enough kale, like maybe chowing down on the bread too much. I I don't know. Yeah, he loves his carbs, um, <laughs> vitamin B, but um, whose voice? is oddly dubbed uh, I don't know why um, but some people in this movie just have unusual voices um, and, and accents too well I was, I was gonna get into that so we have the, t- the two brothers are Michael and George Tutman and um, we've got... Um, a female love interest and mm-hmm. we've got a head in a jar and we've got a bizarre subplot where one of the brothers has this ongoing rivalry with a Hitler-esque professional wrestler um yeah, yeah, what was his name? Like Little Johnny Hitler or something? I think you got it right. I think it was Little Johnny <laughs> Little Jimmy Hitler. Little Jimmy Hitler. Little Jimmy Hitler, <laughs> so, yeah. That's another thing. I'm like, okay, well, this was the 80s. Don't think they could do that now, but here we go. No, and then my my absolute favorite part of this movie is it all culminates in a uh, a blood feast if you will they have these um they plan so they've been killing people throughout this movie they've been collecting body parts so that they can physically rebuild this shitar this lumerian goddess and by the time that they finally created her they need to celebrate her resurrection with a blood feast because you know if any good lumerian cultist knows that this is just the way things have to go now what i love is that this blood feast takes place at this i want some sort of asian fusion restaurant where they've got 
a lot of this movie is just stuff that you just kind of have to accept. Like it's a cart, it's it's like half a cartoon, so like you just gotta go with it. So they've got like these bags of drugs that make everybody hungry. That's like it. So if you give them th- this this pill, they'll instantly become ravenously hungry and eat whatever in front of them. So they've got these pots of uh, of stew with all these body parts in it, but. What I love is that on stage, rocking his brains out is underground rock cult punk legend Dino Lee um, in his only film debut. And his music is extremely hard to find. I sent you a copy of the song that's played during the... um, one of the songs that he performs during this movie, which is a great little ditty called Stud Pony, which is just a, a banger of a song. Um, it is truly a banger. And Definitely go- overlooked by the Grammys and by everyone. Um, you, critics. Like, the only thing I could find on Dino Lee is, like, a couple of his songs, and then, like, there's an old MTV news clip about him, um about him being, like, just, like, the sleazy... Like, him being the self-proclaimed sleaziest rock star in the world, and, um... I'm I sure... did kind of think his outfit and his scene, he sort of looks like Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. He looks like a mix of Gaston trying to be an Elvis impersonator, right. I, I would say. Uh, and, again, going back to the Nazi imagery, his his horn section is... Uh, little Hitler's because right. of course yeah, and then I was trying to figure out I'm like okay well he's not he wasn't connected with the wrestler right no he was just okay. he was just happened to be that that night's entertainment and um okay I'm like they. I guess they just like the Hitler motif this is just you know I, what was going on in the 80s at the time you know it could be either one of two things. It could be, you know, Little Jimmy Hitler was obviously scripted. But I wouldn't be surprised if Jackie Kong was like, I need a musician and a band to play for this scene. And she started talking to Dino Lee and she met Dino Lee and she's like, so what does your band look like? And he showed her the band and he's like, well, I don't generally have a lot of horns but if i did have a horn section they would dr- be dressed up like hitler so i want <laughs> i wonder if it's a dino lee thing or if it's a um a jackie kong thing i really couldn't tell you all i know is i just love um dino lee he performs a couple songs and then um his head explodes which is just i mean of course of course in this movie that's exactly what would happen when Sheetar comes back to life um so I guess spoilers because we don't really need to, um, uh, you know, we don't need to worry about the ending. Um, but this movie has an odd ending in the fact that Shitar escapes. Uh, she is resurrected. She is escaped, and the last scene of the movie is a horny guy in a car trying to uh, give her a ride, and she menacingly threatens him, cut to black. So yeah, and. Uh, that part I liked. I'm like, okay, now I want to see what the sequel would be. You know, where does Sheetar go? What is her dating life like? You know, because Sheetar is this, you know, lady who has this giant 
stomach thing in her midsection. It's a stomach mouth. Right. Someone's head goes into it. Yeah. It's... Uh, she's got these really creepy teeth going on. Um, but she's not bad you know, looking for uh, <laughs> for a resurrected Lumerian goddess. You know, you could do a lot worse. So if you cover up all the, I mean, but she's kind of like Frankenstein's monster. She's a hodgepodge. You know, all the different body parts that have um, been accumulated. But yeah, I could. I I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind a sequel to this either. Like. Uh, Sheetar in the city, just like exploring her dating life, you know. But right. What's it like to be a resurrected Lumerian goddess, you know, living in LA? It's got to be tough. Um, and the guy who picks her up doesn't seem too bothered, you know. I mean, she like opens up her mouth and she has all these freaky teeth, and he's just like, okay, let's drive off. So, well, you know, it was '84, um, so I'm gonna guess uh, cocaine. Or 87. So I'm going to definitely guess cocaine was involved right. on, on his part. Um, I have to say, two of my favorite characters, though, are the detectives. Um, mm-hmm. Lynette LaFrance, who's... I, I mean this as a compliment, looks like the missing Jackson sister. She looks like she belongs in the same family with... Janet Jackson, LaToya, Michael, she kind of, she kind of looks, and, um... Oh, wasn't her character's name Agent Jackson? Yes, which, which, yeah, okay. yeah, which doesn't hurt, so I wonder if that was, like, uh, I wonder if they changed that, because, like, when they, when they hired this actor, they're like, wow, she kind of looks like one of the Jacksons, um... Yeah. But she's also, I mean, with the name like Lynette LaFrance, she's also got a very um, French accent. So yeah, we got that going on. It's one of those accents where you just can't quite pinpoint where it is. You know, right. like you, you, I'm watching this movie and I'm like, is she Australian? Yeah. Is she British? Is she American? It sounds very British, but I'm just going by the name. I'm like... Because I took some years of France, and, I mean, not that La France is a dead giveaway or anything, but, like, La, like, you got two La's right there, and, you know, that's <laughs> that's the in French, so. But then you've got her goofy partner, um, who's immediately, um... Yeah, her, her partner He He is... feels like... I got a female partner, so she's, like, obligated to be interested in me. Like, he just, like, assumes that she is. Like, his level of flirting is, um... It's not subtle. It's, uh, it's not subtle. He's, like, the character from every sexual harassment training video, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but my favorite scene with him is that they're investigating, uh, um, one of the homicides at the beach... And the entire time that he's on screen during this investigation, he has his gun in his hand. He's ru- like, he's rubbing his temple with it. Like, <laughs> I've seen this movie so many times that sometimes, like when I rewatched it for this episode, I'll pick up on weird little. And this is a little, little weird little thing that I noticed in this entire scene. I'm like, 
is he ever going to holster his gun? And no, the scene ends with him, like, firing shots into the air for no reason. Um, it's just kind of... It's This is not a move... Like you said, I think you put it... You, you kind of have to put your mind... If you put your mind in the jar along with Uncle... Whatever his name is, you got to have a blast. Yes, yes, thank you. you got to have a blast with this movie. If you're looking for something serious that you want to kind of critically dig into and you know kind of put on your cognitive thinking this is not the movie for you um it's just there's always something like just when you think that you know exactly what the next scene is going to bring you just have no idea like there's weird little subplots like the rival vegetarian shop owner whose best friend is an inanimate, well, how would you put, what is it, a, a puppet? Like, I, I don't even know like what it, you would describe it as. Tell me, like, I was very confused by this part, and I had to go back and watch it. <laughs> it's, it is, it's very confusing, because he talks to this dummy, the dummy talks back to him, um... But he brings this dummy everywhere. He brings it to the, the the Putnam's Cafe to check out the competition. The dummy is there when he's talking to the police. And no one seems to raise an eyebrow about this f- fact at all. It's just kind of like... Right, and it, when I was first watching it, I was like, okay, is this supposed to be like some sort of self-aware character like the dummy is just a talking dummy that exists in this universe but then i i noticed in one scene it cuts to him and you do see his lips moving and so i'm like okay maybe this is just his way to convince people that he has a customer um i don't know but that i i I just didn't (laughs) get this part but it still just one of the delightfully odd parts of this movie. Right, and that's kind of like, despite how disgusting parts of this movie are, straight up, it it can be very disgusting. I'm kind of um, either desensitized or it just doesn't bother (laughs) me because it's, you know, I'm watching things on a screen that aren't real. But Mm -hmm. I, I could see why other people would find this movie just to be gross there's a lot it's a lot of gross stuff there's a lot of bloody body parts there's some vomit yeah there's there's some there's some nudity um but i mean if you just go with it there's it's this movie's got some charm to it because despite the fact that these two brothers are doing something very heinous um they're both charming one more so in particular than the other one the uh the guy that's front of house that's taking orders and you know and serving customers is very very charming uh the, the brother that's the cook is definitely a little bit more unhinged shall we <laughs> shall we say but they are they there's something about them that they are likable um right they just have. They just happen to like some really bizarre. They they just have some really bizarre hobbies. I guess putting it nicely. It was interesting. That was one of the things that Jackie Kong talked about in one of the interviews I listened to with her. She said 
the censors were upset because they wanted her to cast people that were ugly and she cast these like young actors and um another thing with them i believe at the film festival it debuted at they were doing some sort of fundraiser and so they did a thing where you could purchase a raffle ticket and you know the women there could win a date with these two actors and no one had actually seen the movie at this point um so these two women they won you know the state with these two actors and they're all excited then the two women actually saw the movie <laughs> and when it came time for the date they didn't show up they were just like oh never mind so i thought that was funny that's that is a very interesting anecdote um <laughs> yeah uh i could see that I, I i could see why they were like you you can't hire these two charming, wholesome-looking boys to portray cannibalistic butchers, you know? You know? You gotta take the route of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. These these people need to be uh, disgusting to look at. You know? They need to wear somebody else's face. That's really the key ingredient here. Right, right. Um, That's really interesting. But I could see that. She just, but she, you know, she stood her ground, and what she made is just a fantastic little gem of a movie and like I said it's one of those movies that I think it gets best it's best press comes from word of mouth um mm-hmm. because it, uh, I, I didn't even bother looking up the reviews but I can uh, I can I'm going to assume and I shouldn't but I will <laughs> assume that th- this was not a, a critic a critically received darling of a picture um well, apparently they couldn't even distribute this film like they wanted to in the U.S. because uh, it was unrated, and they couldn't, you know, chop it down to an R rating. So now, I think that was another thing that limited it initially. Now, did Jackie Kong refuse to to edit it, or the the company couldn't afford to edit it? Uh, that I'm not sure. Because, so, because yeah. you know, something that. I found that I didn't realize. Do you know that it costs money every time you submit your movie to the MPAA? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's not a free service. So oh, it sounds like a scam. Um, it kind of is, but in order to be played in certain movie chains, you need to have a rated movie. The the, the you know it's very hard to get an NC seventeen movie shown, but it is possible. Uh, but if you've got anything other than an R, PG, PG-13, or G, um, a lot of chains aren't even going to touch it. So, yeah, this is definitely a one that I remember seeing in the video store, and I remember renting it when I was finally old enough, and I really liked it, and I forgot about it, and then I started doing this show, and uh, one of my brothers suggested this and he was actually good he wanted to do the show with me um about this particular movie uh and i had to revisit it and since i've um since i picked up the dvd of this i've seen it i've watched it probably four or five times just because it's it's a quick movie it's 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 just a lot of fun i mean yeah if you can get over the um 
the nature of what's <laughs> of what's going on of like the cannibalism and everything but the way that it's handled it's it's very cartoonish um so it's not something that's going to stick with you like Texas Chainsaw Massacre where actually a lot of what terrified people in that movie was the unseen the implication in this movie you see pretty much everything that they want you to but it's done in such a over the top um goofy nature at times that you can't help but like I mean I I can't help but get mad at this movie we've got a jar a a jar that holds a head a brain and two eyes that is talking to these two boys and it's like the way that they interact with their uncle that's in the jar it's like the it's like the premise for a sitcom. It's like these what two these two wacky brothers and their crazy uncle Anwar, who's nothing more than a brain in a jar. Like what antics will they get up to this week? Like it's that kind, yeah. It's like it's that kind of writing. Um, but I, I I've talked enough. What were your some of your favorite? Maybe not some of the bigger set pieces but just some of the, like the little kind of jokes or background things that you 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 liked in this movie that maybe um uh, the casual viewer might not have noticed yeah i'll, I'll say one thing in particular this just kind of speaks to sort of the zany hijinks of it like it is very gory and violent but it's also done in a way that's just so over the top ridiculous when they are uh, digging up Uncle Anwar's grave, and they uh, there's a like grave watchman who comes towards them with a flashlight. One of the brothers gets his shovel and hits the watchman over the head, and his eyes just like pop out and fall on the ground. Right, because that's that's you know that's medically what would happen if you got hit in the head with a shovel. no it's see that's perfect because that's just the kind of like throwaway gag that is littered throughout this movie and it is i mean there's jokes about um health food eating there's jokes about exercise and aerobics and like the contents of what a model's stomach is like it's just uh, like you, you know, we got the we've got the the sexual har- like the cop that's sexually harassing harassing his new partner and she's obviously the competent one and he's a sleaze bag who will scratch his head with a loaded gun at at the at a crime scene. <laughs> it's it's that's a good idea. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, um, and I like the fact that these brothers especially the one brother is 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 pretty incompetent. He's very hot-headed and it's right. it's shown he's he finally gets his wrestling match with little Jimmy Hitler and he only wins cuz his brother cheats for him. And there's the scene at the beach where it's only through a stroke of luck that something falls on one of the victims' heads that he isn't like stopped right there. There's just a lot of um Oh, I I, I forgot there's a 
there's a cannibalistic biker gang that's mentioned offhandedly that's being investigated. Right. I mean, so yeah. there's... There's and a, that's never, like, explored in depth. It's just like, oh, yeah, there's a biker gang called Cannibals, well, by the way. One of them gets almost run over by the uh, the brother in the van, and I think that's mm-hmm. the only time that we see one of these biker gangs. But I like the fact that it's so nonchalant within the police department that, like, everyone just is like, ugh, not this cannibalistic biker gang again. <laughs> like, come on. It's so... I, 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 it, 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 I will say, like, one thing I, I really liked about this movie, it, it just kind of speaks to the time period with, like, Satanic Panic and everything. At the very beginning, when they have that warning that's like, we know blood cults are real and an unfortunate menace to our society, but this is strictly fictional. And, um, and also that, handled by professionals, if I'm not mistaken, right. that... that, that the little warning ends with that like we the, all like per, all actions and stunts were handled by professionals so yeah i mean that's what i think that i like about this movie and i respect about this movie is that it doesn't put on airs like it's not trying to be anything more than it is um definitely self-aware definitely knows exactly what they're trying to do so I appreciate that. Right. I mean, the tone is there, and the tone doesn't fluctuate. The, so, that I appreciate. Like, if all of a sudden, halfway through, this movie just went wacky, goofy, and we're supposed to accept it, I'd have a problem with it. But from the very introduction, like, from the very warning, this is what you're about to see, we know exactly what we're in store for. And if you're along for the ride, you're going to have a hell of a ride. Um, I mean, it's interesting knowing that this was not necessarily conceived as a comedy, but Jackie Kong reworked it into a comedy. Mm -hmm. So I kind of want to know what was that first draft like, you know? I bet you it was pretty similar. It's just that maybe some of the, like the, it could have been very, very similar, and and in fact, because she, well, she yeah, she helped rework the script, but she didn't write the original script. So I wonder if actually some of it was just kept intact, and and what she saw on the page as the writer not thinking being funny, she kind of turned to be intentionally funny. Um, again, it would be interesting to be a fly in the wall for some of the uh, pre-production meetings for something like this. But yeah, it's very much. The thing with Herschel Gordon Lewis movies are that um, a lot of the humor that comes from them is unintentional, mostly due to budget restraints of just trying to be, uh, you know, he he was very keen on being as graphic as possible, um, um, but his movies weren't known for being intentionally very funny or consistently funny throughout and this movie definitely is a is a one of the better examples i would say of a black comedy horror movie because you you've the comedy is there and it's consistent Mm -hmm. And even when it's goofy, I can't help but, like, even, like, roll my eyes. Like, vitamin B. Like, I still, I know vitamin B is coming. 
He's like, well, you know why that my friends call me vitamin B? And I'm just like, <laughs> oh my god, you're like, you're the most stereotypical cliche character. But, I mean, I can, you can count on like three fingers the amount of minutes of screen time that he's on. So like, it's not, it's, you're not stuck with like, like if I was, you know, if we were stuck with vitamin B throughout the entire movie, I, I don't think I'd like it. Or if we were stuck with the guy with that talks to that dummy, I mean, <laughs> the fact that these are just, <clears throat> excuse me, bizarre side characters that show up periodically, that that works to this movie's favor. So I think that it's a very it's for a movie that some people might. Uh, put their nose down to or you know not want to give the time of day there is a craft here uh, whether you, you like the craft or not there is uh, there's a lot of thought going on both in front of the camera and behind the camera like i said to to achieve this tone i mean jackie kong knew what she was doing the entire time from from the moment that she started filming that first scene till the moment that you know she she yelled cut and the movie was wrapped i mean she knew the tone and to uh, that just i mean that's lacking in so many directors even to this day that they just don't know exactly what they're going for so they're going to throw everything they can against the wall and see what sticks and um and in this case, I think that she knew exactly what she wanted. So what what she threw against the wall, all of it stuck. I mean, some stuck better than others, but you know, <laughs> that's just kind of my my feelings about uh, about Blood Diner. But um, so if you who who are the kind of people that you would recommend this movie to? If you were writing like if you were writing a review for your um, your website to recommend this movie. Um, what, what kind of, who would you recommend this to? I would say if you are into B-movie horror, uh, if you are into, you know, campy, let's say John Waters movies Mm -hmm. or, uh, stuff that (laughs) is just delightfully tasteless, then this film is going to appeal to you. Um, maybe not, you know, someone who strictly is going to only watch movies that get a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but, uh, for those people that can appreciate, you know, the film for what it is, I I say it's worth watching. I think you hit two very good nails on the head right there. Delightfully tasteless. I love it. That's, that's like the perfect two word uh, little tagline for this and um John Waters this is very much in line with something that he would do um so yeah I think you hit some two very very uh potent nails right there I think those are the if those two things are sticking out to you and you haven't watched this movie yet I would strongly recommend it um, since I'm talking to the streaming guy, where were you able to find this? Uh, you can actually watch it for free on the Roku channel. Um, I think there were maybe three or four ads, but um, yeah, I mean, you don't need an account. Just 
literally if you just google blood diner it'll come up on there and you can watch it for free so awesome good deal because i got it in one of these uh multi-pack like horror movie multi-packs it's like six movies on two discs something like that um so that's yeah i like to have a physical copy when i do a movie here because i like to rewatch or there's bonus features um stuff mm-hmm. like that but um Don't so, the plastic when you open it yeah <laughs> um exactly but I, I'm glad that you were able to answer the question because a lot of times when I talk to other people, I'm like, oh, that's something that I should mention on the show if people want to watch the movie where they can find it. So Roku is where you mm-hmm. can find it now. Matt, we've talked for almost an hour now. What are we? What have we missed with Blood Diner? Uh, <laughs> I, I will say just one thing that... I, I watched the movie twice, and both times this part made me laugh out loud because I, there's just something about it. When the brothers are fighting the guy from the rival restaurant, the one that has the little dummy puppet that talks, um, they chop off both of his hands, and there's the scene where he's trying to drive away from them but he has these like bloody stumps for hands (laughs) yes but you can also kind of tell like they're you know i mean he's just wearing long sleeves with blood on the end because his arms look longer than normal sure um but he's just furiously driving down the road and there's blood splattering on the windshield and he's like you'll try to drop chop off my hands i'll show you that shot, I just think, is, is super hilarious. Yeah, it's it's very like I said. I keep going back to the word cartoonish, but uh, again, with what I, I immediately can picture the scene that you're talking about. This movie, it's very cartoonish. So if you like that sort of over the top blood and gore, um, and I mean, just a lot of. Like I said, I've watched this movie so many times, there's always little things that I'll pick up, like just little jokes here or there, little throwaway phrases. Like I, I happen to notice like that, that scene where the, the cop never holsters his gun. He's got this loaded gun the entire time. He's pointing it at people. Like when he's pointing at something, he's using it, the gun, and then like the scene ends with him firing the gun into the air. So, yeah, this movie is kind of... Um, it's like a weird treasure chest of little hidden moments that, I mean, that bear re-watching because you, you're going to get something something fun and something quirky out of it. So, um, and That's kind of like one of the best things, I feel like, of any cult film is if you can watch it and re-watch it and you just have those little things that you unearth or those lines that you can quote... Uh, that's the best especially you know once you've seen it and then you find other people and you're like oh man you gotta watch this movie you know yeah it's um kind of like a litmus test movie or a uh, secret handshake movie there's certain movies that i've i've learned after doing this this show now for almost a year that there's certain cult movies that really kind of strike a chord with certain people and, um, yeah, what I try to do on the show is to showcase all kinds of cult movies, because I think sometimes 
when people hear a cult movie, they kind of get um, not really a negative connotation, but they think uh, it's got to be schlocky or it's got to be weird or it's it's I, I mean, that's the thing, though. Like, I, I always say that a cult movie can come from any time period, from any director, from any studio. It's just a matter of it's a perfect storm of of elements coming together and um this is one that doesn't get a lot of um attention because the none of the actors really went on to do um anything huge um and this is Jackie Kong did do a, a couple other movies but this is by far her most popular one so um I did. I'm glad that you were you were able to uh, spend some time here this afternoon to help me showcase Blood Diner. Um, it's it's definitely one that deserves a, a more attention than it gets. I I I think so. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I watched it, so I can add that to my kind of cultural uh, pop culture lexicon. So see. I, I'm getting a good track record here because every single time that I've had a guest on who hasn't, <clears throat> excuse me, who hasn't brought their own movie to the table, every time I've, I usually send a list of movies and say, if any of these catch your eye, let me know. I'm lucky so far. I've never had anyone say, I watched the movie and I regret it. I did have one friend of mine get halfway through a movie and say that they couldn't finish watching it, and then they, they tapped out. Um, but shame on them, because it's a good movie. But um, that, That's the most important thing I could say, is that as long as you say that you didn't regret the time you spent with it, and in fact, you, you, you've, you've seen it twice. So that's. I have seen it. Twice. So okay. So that that makes me feel good that I didn't waste your time, and then that people that are still listening now know that we haven't wasted your time, and you you've listened to this entire episode, and you haven't watched Blood Diner yet. Check it out, or if you haven't seen it in a while, check it out. It's free on Roku, and um, so you have no excuse. And Matt. Right before we wrap up, please tell everyone where we can find Shall I Stream It? Uh, yeah, just go to shallistreamit.com. Also look up Shall I Stream It on YouTube or uh, Twitter or also my personal Twitter if you want to hear my chaotic opinions. That's at Matt Davis Blogs. And I will have links to all of that in the episode description, so you have no excuse. Follow Matt on Twitter. Check out his show, ShallIStreamIt.com. Find him on YouTube, and um, I hope that you will return sometime in the future to cover another cult gem with me, Mr. Davis, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'd love to. Great. So, um, any final thoughts for Blood Diner? I think we've we've covered just about everything that I could think of on my notes here. You know, I think we've touched all of the all of the main things, so you know, just gotta give props to Jackie Kong. Absolutely. So. I think, yes, I think we've covered just enough that there's there's still plenty to be discovered in this movie that we haven't, we haven't picked all the little, the, the we haven't 
found all the little hidden Easter eggs of humor and gore that are hidden with that throughout this movie. So, um, I, I recommend giving blood diner. If, how did you put it? It was great. Um, distastefully, what was it? Like delightfully tasteless. Yes. Or something like that. I didn't want to butcher your words cause you, you put it <laughs> delightfully tasteless. Yes. We're not going to be able to top delightfully tasteless. So for Matt, my name is Chris. This has been the Cult Film Companion Podcast, talking about Blood Diner from Jackie Kong, and we will be back with another cult gem real soon. Take care.